But we've been in Philippians, we'll continue in Philippians today. We finished chapter 1 last week, and we will start with chapter 2 this week. But last week we talked about being citizens of the gospel. And what does that mean to be a citizen of the gospel, to be a part of this, to identify with Jesus Christ? And we said that means to be together. One of the things that if we're citizens, we're not a citizen by ourselves, but we're citizens together. We're together with each other. And then we stand firm in one spirit. We stand firm according to this truth, this truth that we know, this gospel truth. We're not just standing firm, then we respond, then we, with one mind, we strive together, right, in love. You before me as we live out this life together. And if that's not difficult enough to be together, to have relationships with one another, then as we got to the second half of the passage last week, it became very clear that Paul was saying, as you're together, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be conflicts. And he says, you are going to suffer. So it's hard enough to be together. But now we're going to suffer together. And he says, just as you've been given, you've been granted this belief, you've been granted the understanding of the gospel. He says, you've also been granted to suffer. They go hand in hand. It sounds exciting, right? I mean, who, who doesn't want that? No one looks excited. Okay, let's press on. And let's see what he says next, okay? With that thought in mind, let me read verse 1 through verse 5 of chapter 2. It says, Therefore, with all that in mind, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each, each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So Paul says, therefore. It's the first word. In chapter 2, he says, therefore. He's saying, with all this in mind, from all of this from chapter 1 that I talked about, with what I just finished talking about, what I just reviewed, therefore. And he gives us an if-then statement. If this then that. That's what he's going to tell us. That's what he's going to show us. And then he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. With all that in mind, with all that we're going through, being together, suffering, but if, if you have any encouragement in Christ, being united with Christ, and then he lists other things. He says, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing, or that's that idea of fellowship, the word fellowship is there, any fellowship in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. And I don't want us to miss what Paul is saying here. Think about the therefore. Think about what just came. Think about how difficult that is to be together that we're going to walk together, standing firm in the truth, striving side by side. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be suffering. And he says, therefore, and where does he go? He goes straight up. Straight up. If there's any encouragement in Christ. Here's the situation. Here's what's going on. But he says, if there's any encouragement from being united in Christ, if there's any comfort from His love, if there's any fellowship from the Spirit, everything he's talking about, he's looking up, he's looking to God. And he says, if, if I can think this way, if I can think vertically, he's like, then, as he's going to get to, it's going to translate into my life. It's going to come from this vertical relationship that I have. It's going to work itself out 
horizontally. Do we stop to do that? When we're in a situation, therefore, when we look back and we see what's going on, would we stop and say, okay, let me look up, let me look vertical, let me consider that I'm united with Christ. Let me consider the comfort that I've experienced from His love. Because the encouragement, the comfort, the fellowship, the tenderness, the compassion, where does it come from? Where? Not from here. And Paul doesn't say actually. He starts with others around him. He's like, I'm going to start with God. Here's my situation. Here's the reality of life. And I'm starting with God. It doesn't come from within. It doesn't come from around him. It comes from above. And what I think is cool about this is that if we realize this, that the process to continue in this process to be transformed is not dependent on us. God has to do it. God is the one doing it. And if it's not dependent on me, then that means that we're all in this process. Whether you just started, whether you've been walking for years, no matter where you're at in your walk with Christ, he says, look back, if you have any, 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 any comfort, any encouragement, just a little bit, if, if there's anybody out there that has just, just a little bit, just any, then, then this is for us. Then we're a part of this. Then we can, we can receive this word. It's inclusive. No one is left out from what Paul is saying. If we have any impact of Jesus Christ in our life, this is for us. So look vertical. Think about God. Do you, has God impacted your life whatsoever? In any way? Has He encouraged you, comforted you? Has He given Himself to you? In any way? If the answer is yes, then we go to the next part. We go to verse 2. It says then, right? He said, if... If there's any, 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 then. Is anybody left out of the any? Okay, so we're all here on the then. Okay? This then is for all of us. He says, then make my joy complete. It literally says, complete my joy completely. And so I want you to stop and I want you to think about the situation and where Paul is. If I was in prison, if I was about to die, if I was going to go on trial, and I came to each of you and you got this letter from me and I said, listen, listen, listen. There's one thing. Can you do this one thing? If you would, this will completely complete my joy if you'll just do this one thing. Like, I've got perspective now. I'm in prison. I can see life. And I'm saying, complete my joy completely. Bye. And he's going to tell us what the buy is. But this is important. This is important what Paul is telling us that this, if we do this, if we respond this way, it's going to complete his joy completely. He's talked to us. We've been in this process. We're in this process, right? This process of our salvation. And he's saying, do you want to complete the process completely? This is important. And I want you to see that in this book, in this letter, this section that we're in right now, I think it's like, it's, it's the summit, okay? It, this, is the, this is the main idea. This is, this is the peak. We've been walking through chapter 1 and we've gotten to this point and now Paul is about to share with us the main idea of what he's trying to communicate. And it's like we're standing there at the mountaintop and we've got a 360 view and we're going to be here for a little while. And these next few passages like, wow, this is the point that he's making. And then as we come down, we're going to figure that out practically. We're going to figure out 
what that looks like even more. He's going to give us instruction. But this that he's talking about, this is what's going to complete my joy completely. This is important. Everybody with me? So what is he going to tell us to do? He says, by being like-minded. I looked at that, looked at it over, looked at it again. That's what he says. By being like-minded. Here he is in jail. This is what will complete my joy completely. Be like-minded. He wants us, the big idea, to have a shared gospel perspective. That will complete my joy completely. If you share this gospel perspective together, this is your perspective. This is how you see life. And as he goes on, that life, that perspective, it will result in a manner of life, right? We talked about this manner of life worthy of the gospel. It's going to result in a manner of life that is other valued and then other focused. Being like-minded, a gospel perspective, it will result, the reaction will be that will be other valued, other focused. So the first is being like-minded. The shared gospel perspective. He defines it more in the verse. He says, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. He wants us together our understanding, our thinking, our feelings, our desire, our purpose, and he says it's to be the same, it's to be united, it's literally to be one. We as a, as a body, we as brothers and sisters, we're to have this like mind and it's to be the same. Look at those in the room around you. Turn, look. Alright, you've seen the people around you? I read that and I'm like, that's impossible. And if you tell me that you don't feel that, then you're not telling the truth in church, right? That's like doubly wrong to not tell the truth in church, okay? That's impossible. How am I supposed to think think the same and understand the same and feel the same and, and have the same desires? And all of us together, we're going to have that as, as one? United? Literally, it says one perspective. By Tuesday of this week, I was done. Wednesday, I was ready to give up. After reading last week and then and studying this, I'm like, there's no way. I'm like, he's saying, this is like, this is important, this is going to complete his joy completely and like, how are we going to do that? How are we going to have this relationship, this same mind? And the more I thought about it, the more I studied, the more I got discouraged. By Thursday, I don't want to come home. I finish work. I don't want to go home. I don't want to go home. I don't want to go to my, my community, my discipleship community. I don't want to see other people. Like, this is not going to work. It can't work. I talked to Nidia and I said, nope, it's not going to work. I talked to Trent. Nope, it's not going to work. The more I talked about it, the more I understood it. It's not going to work. By Thursday night, I want to go to the beach at night, which means I want to hear the waves and nothing else. I want to yell at God, and I want to have a pint of ice cream. 
right. I didn't make it to the beach, but I had a pint of ice cream. Well, maybe we can do that on Sunday morning for an hour and a half. We can gather all these people in this space and in this room and we can close the doors and for a little bit, part of the time, we can have that same perspective. But what happens Monday through Saturday? What does that happen? I mean, six-sevenths of our lives... Right? Are not this day that we all gather together. And yet, this is the thing that will complete his joy completely? To be together? To be of the same perspective, the same mind, the same desire, the same feelings? So I needed a new perspective on this perspective. Right? I, I, I need to see this differently. And I received, and I don't know that I've ever received um, anything like this uh, from Linnea. Linnea sends me an email and says, maybe this will encourage you. She doesn't know what I'm dealing with, what's going on. And in that, I, I watch this, I listen to this message, and I'm, I'm, I'm considering it. And it was crazy how what was in it was meant for me. Some of it made me feel worse, right? And some of it gave me encouragement. But I want to share with you what I feel like God gave me this new perspective. It was through His Word. Right? I tried to go horizontally. I tried to go internally. Right? I'll take care of this. We'll figure this out. I didn't like Paul said. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from His love, I didn't go vertical to start. And then God gives me this passage. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples. And he's told them, you have this truth now. He's just told them about the truth that they've received, this truth that he's shown them. And then he says in John chapter 17, verse 20 to 23, okay, he's about to go to be beaten, to suffer, to die on the cross. This is his last time with his disciples. He's teaching them for the last time. This is important stuff, right? Just as Paul said, I'm in prison. I don't know what's going to happen. Jesus said, I'm about to go and die and suffer. I'm going to teach you this right now. Listen to what I say. And he begins to pray. This is Jesus praying to God. He says, I do not ask for these only, these disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. Okay? We believe because of the word that was spread by those disciples. Right? This is us. Jesus is praying for them. He says, not just for them, but also for us. Verse 21. That they may all be one. This is what Jesus asked the Father. And he doesn't stop there. He says, Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He says, I don't want them just to be one. You know, this nice unity that they would have and it would have the appearance of unity. He says, I want them to be just as God, you and I are one. I want my church, I want those who follow me to be one with each other just as Jesus and God are one. That's pretty close. Right? That's a pretty tight relationship. That's, that's pretty much unified. And then he says, when they see that, when the world sees that, they're going to know, God, that you sent me. They're going to know that I'm the Savior. They're going to be unified. They're going to be one, just like you, God, and I are one. And then there, the world's going to look at that, and the world's going to say, 
What's behind this? And the only thing that could be behind this is God. The only thing that's behind this is the love of Christ. The death of Christ. What He did on the cross. This truth. This gospel. This good news. And they're going to know that when they see us united. They're going to know that when we're one. Sorry, I'm not done. Verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Again, for what purpose? That, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Now part of me, I read that and I was so encouraged. Jesus prayed for this. I'm like, that's a prayer we know is going to be answered. But then I read this and I'm like, we're going to be one as Jesus and the Father are one? I was discouraged again. That's impossible. How's that going to work? How's that going to happen? There's no way. You guys can tell I had a hard week. And I'm like, well, I got to continue to prepare this message. I got to continue to. I got to preach on Sunday, even though I don't feel like preaching on Sunday. I don't want to preach on Sunday. But I come back to this passage. And Paul's saying the same thing. This is a healthy church he's talking to. He doesn't address wrong beliefs. He doesn't address heresies. He doesn't talk about, well, there's going to be this person that you might have to kick out of the church like he does in some of the other letters. Like he said, right, I love this church. I love these people. And he never corrects them. But when he gets here, he says, but let me tell you the one thing. The one thing that will complete my joy completely. Be one. Jesus prayed that for us. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi and telling them the same thing. I want you to have this perspective. And perspective is a manner of thinking. A manner of feeling. But it's more than that. If we think this way and if we feel this way, right? If we stand firm in this truth, there's going to be a result. If that, then, then what's going to happen? Then it's going to result in this manner of life that actually reflects the gospel. It's going to result in responding or behavior or interactions and relationships that reflect the gospel. If that, if we have this perspective, then it's going to be demonstrable in our lives. It's a cause and it's a reaction. Action and reaction. And so I want to show you guys. You didn't know that you were coming to physics class. But I want to demonstrate something for you. This uh, demonstrates Newton's third law of motion. Does anybody know Newton's third law of motion? Oh, uh, that's not fair. <laughs> anybody know it? For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Okay? This is a law in nature, right? It can be observed, it can be proven. It's a law that God has put in place. So I want to demonstrate it for you guys. And I want you to look for the action and the equal and opposite reaction. The if and the then. What happened? What was the action? Air went into the balloon. What was the reaction? 
The balloon was inflated, right? The balloon was... It changed. The balloon was transformed. It's a different shape. It's a different... It looks different. It, 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 nobody would look at this if you didn't know how balloons worked, right? You wouldn't look at this and, and look at this and think they're the same thing. Because of this action of the air going in, the balloon reacted and changed. Next example. Look for the action and the reaction. What was the action? The air that was there. I released it. And what did the air do? The air pushed out, right? The air says, I'm pushing out. And the air pushed out on other air. And then what happened to the balloon? What was the reaction? It moved. Went for me to Karina. The air came out. The balloon moved. The air went in. The balloon was changed. It was transformed. It looked different. The air comes out. It moves. It doesn't stay the same. You guys stick with me and this will all come together, I promise. All right. I waited to open it just because I wanted that smell. All right. I've never, I don't know if I've ever opened a can of tennis balls and not smelled them. All right. What's this? So what's going to happen? No, I'm just kidding. All right. I'm going to demonstrate for you, okay? Look for the action and the reaction. Everybody ready? Action. What happened to the ball? The ball went. I put a force on the ball. The ball hit the wall. When the ball hit the wall, what happened? The wall actually pushed back on the ball. The force on the wall pushed back on the ball. Why didn't the wall fall down? The wall is stronger than the ball. Now, let's explain these. <laughs> if we've been filled by the gospel, we've got to look different. We're not the same. We've been transformed. If any, if any, if any, if any. Any comfort, any encouragement. Like, we're not the same. And then what happens? We let go, right? And we strive side by side because we've received this gospel and it moves us. It changes us. It presses us on. We strive side by side, loving each other. Because we were filled with the gospel, then the gospel responds in our lives and it moves us. It changes us. We're not the same. And we don't behave the same. We don't respond the same. And then what happens? As we're striving together for the faith of the gospel, for loving, for the love, for loving each other, right? Then what did I show you here? Conflicts come. Outside forces. Suffering comes. Outside forces. Opposition comes. Outside forces. But if we stand firm in the truth of the gospel, what happens when they come towards us? We're not moved. These forces come but we're not moved because I'm standing firm in the truth. The gospel is stronger than those forces coming against us. The gospel is stronger than the enemy against us. The gospel is stronger than any suffering that we can encounter. And we're not just standing there in the gospel. We're standing there together as a team. On the same team, with the same mind. Standing firm. The gospel fills us. It changes us. It moves us. And we stand firm in it. If, then, if the gospel's changed us, then all those things are true. Gospel in, gospel out. Is that 
our perspective on the gospel? Are we, are we ready to react or respond in that way in a manner worthy of the gospel? Are we ready to move? Are we ready not to be tossed to and fro by waves and by every wind of doctrine? Are, are we ready to, no, I'm going to stand firm, I'm going to be stable in the gospel, but yet we are on the move. We have a shared purpose and we're loving each other and we're caring for each other and we proclaim the truth and we stand in the truth. And as we have that shared perspective, if we have that perspective, then, like I said, it's going to change us. Then, there's going to be a reaction. There's going to be a change in our behavior. There's going to be a change in our perspective. There's going to be a change in our interactions with each other. A change in our responses. And he says, look at verse 3, we have the same perspective, so then therefore, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but rather in humility value others above yourself not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interests of others he's basically saying if we're like-minded then we're going to be other-minded and I want to show you in these two verses he, he kind of identifies the problem and then he gives you the solution he wants to correct and then he wants to actually redirect us and so I'm going to go through and explain a couple of these words and I want you to understand that one of these words if you look in verse 3 vain conceit I think that's actually like, that's the root of the problem. That's like the heart issue. And then the selfish ambition, that's how it's demonstrated. That's the results of. If I, if I have vain conceit, then I'm going to demonstrate selfish ambition. So he's saying, this is what needs to be corrected in us. Vain conceit. What does that mean? If you look at the meaning of the word and where the word came from, it's literally communicating that we are hungry for glory. We're glory starved. That's our condition. That's our heart. What is glory? Well, glory is like, I, we're starving to be important. We're starving to be recognized. We're starving to, to matter. We want to be of significance. There's, there's a part of us that inside of us that we're just, I'm so empty. I so want to know that I matter. I so want to know that I'm important, that I'm significant. And that's in all of us. And we have this need, this, this desire to feel that. It can be tough if someone is upset at you, angry at you, mad at you, does something to you. But it's far worse if they just act like you don't exist. You're so insignificant, I don't even care. doesn't even anger me. I don't care. It's worse to be ignored. It's worse to be marginalized. It's worse to be told or think that I don't matter. Because I got this hole inside of me that needs to be filled up. I'm desiring to know that I'm significant. When we had the uh, representative from the agency for foreign exchange students come in our house a couple weeks ago, she told us stories about students, all these stories about all these students and all these interactions. And one of them that stuck with me was, she said that she would receive multiple students at a time because then they would get placed in families. And so they would come and they'd stay with her for a week or two and then they would go be placed with a family. And she told the story of a, a Taiwanese student, guy, 
and a German student, female. And something happened while they were outside of the house, interacting together, and the Thai student was offended. And he came home, and he tells their host mother, this representative, she doesn't exist to me any longer. Whatever she did, she didn't know what had happened. Whatever had been done to him, he's like, I'm done. She doesn't exist. And she said for the next week, he ignored her. They'd sit at the table, he wouldn't look at her. She'd ask, pass the salt, he wouldn't do it. they go through a door, he'd just keep on going. He never spoke a word to her, he never interacted with her, he just completely ignored her like she was invisible, like she didn't matter. And she said, that drove that German, German girl crazy. I wish she would just get upset at me. I wish she would just get mad at me. He's like, but, but he doesn't even care enough to acknowledge my existence. How do you respond when you feel that way? after an interaction with somebody here and you think I hope they didn't you know, not acknowledge your presence but maybe they didn't maybe, maybe you didn't come to church or you didn't show up to this other gathering this other meeting and nobody said anything nobody even missed me or something was said and it offended me and I can't believe they said that and I really was angry and like they don't even think that I matter Think about how you respond. Think about how we react when we feel that way. Because he says the symptom here, the response, is selfish ambition. I know I matter. I know I'm important. I know that I'm significant. And I'm going to take care of me, and I'm going to take care of my interests, my needs. I'm going to take priority. I'm going to lift myself up because that's, I've got this desire. I need to know that I'm significant, and they're not giving that to me. And they're actually making me feel the opposite. And so now I'm going to build myself up. And you know what? It becomes personal. If we have this vain conceit, everything becomes personal. This word selfish ambition, it literally means hyper fighting. I am ready to fight. I'm ready to respond. If you say anything to me, if you offend me, I'm ready to come right back at you because I am significant. Don't tell me that I'm not significant. And so I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. You do anything to offend me, I'm going to stand right back up. I'm, I know. You said something? Was that about me? Did you, did you mean something by what you said? Because I'm going to take it personal. Okay? That's what it says. Hyper fighting. Self-ambition. It's not about the truth. It's about how does this make me look? How does this make me feel? What is this saying about me? What's this say about my status? And everything becomes personal. My brother was six years younger than me. And I remember coming home from college, staying the weekend. And my brother had a different life because it was me and my sister together. He was six years later. And I remember coming home and he would get upset something would happen and he would go into his room and he would take the stereo in his room and I remember what's one specific song that he would play over and over again when he was I'm going to say it in church when he was pissed okay and this is what he would play Una vez 
He would play it a lot louder than that. And that was, you know, when you had you could finally hit the repeat on the stereo and it'd go over and over and over again. And he'd close his door and stay in his room just, you don't know how it feels to be me. And I'm so thankful that y'all don't do that. And I'm so thankful that I don't do that until this week. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, how are we going to do this? I, I don't think this is possible. There's no way. This is empowering going to be together. And I'm supposed to be the pastor. What is this going to... How is this going to reflect on me? If this is like the... Complete my joy completely by doing this. And I can't lead us to do this. And what's going to happen? And how's that going to look on me? And does anybody understand the situation that I'm in? And my problems and my issues? Does anyone know what it feels like to be me? I was feeling sorry for myself. Right? Feel sorry for yourself? Eat ice cream. But you guys don't do that, right? Just a little bit, maybe, right? So think about when you felt like it was personal against you. Think about the last time you felt like, well, you don't know what it feels like to be me. How did you respond? Did you fight back? Oh, let me tell you a couple things. Or did you do like me and I said, forget it, I'm done. I'm ready to quit. I'm ready to stop. This is not worth it. This is not... This is impossible. I can't, this can't be accomplished. I'm done. I'm pulling out. I don't want to do this anymore. How did you respond? How do you respond? Are you just ready to fight back? Or are you ready just to pull away? And completely withdraw from relationships. I hate relationships. I hate being with other people. I hate interacting. I hate... I'm through with it. But if Jesus is our life, that changes. We're transformed. We don't react the same. Gospel in, then gospel should come out. And he tells us what it would look like, what it should look like if it's a result of, a reaction to the gospel. He tells us our heart, in our heart, we should value others higher. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. That needs to be in your heart. That needs to be your perspective. If that, if you value others before yourself, like you're actually giving others glory, you're actually giving others significance. And you guys might be saying, okay, theologically, am I supposed to give glory to other people? But should we only give glory to God? He says, value them, give them worth. If you looked at your brother and sister, and you looked at them and you saw the truth about them, right? Remember the very beginning of this book. They're a saint. They are a son or a daughter of the king. They're in his family. They're part of this kingdom. That's the truth. That's the reality. And I can see that in them. I can acknowledge that they're a saint. And so therefore, I can value them. They are significant. They're so significant that God went to the cross and died for them. That he paid their sins. They're that significant. How can we not see the value in each other? How can we not respond to each other that way? One more story. Yesterday, we took Avaro to the mall. The first trip to the mall, he wanted to eat at Chipotle. They don't have Chipotle in Spain. We're sitting down, we've got Chipotle, it's me and the kids. 
We had, thank you, Isabel and Ismael, we had buy one, get one free burritos. I was feeling really good. <laughs> and Annalise gets the kids' quesadilla. Usually we get water, but this comes with a drink. She got chocolate milk. Right? She was with dad, mom was at home, chocolate milk. We're sitting at the table. Avaro is sitting next to Annalise. I'm sitting across them and I look up and I see Avaro take her chocolate milk and he takes a sip of Annalise's chocolate milk. I'm like, ooh, what's going to happen? He puts it back. Annalise just keeps smiling. No big deal. I'm like, that's my girl. Look at her. A couple minutes later, I think Oran noticed sitting on the other side of Avaro, he reaches over and grabs her chocolate milk. I said, work for him, I'm going to try it. And this water, who wants water? He takes a sip of her milk and Annalise looks up, what are you doing? Put my milk back! That's my milk! It's chocolate milk! And I'm like, Annalise, Avaro just took your milk and you didn't say anything and then Oran takes your milk and you lose control? And she says, yeah, but Oran is my real brother. And he's only been here for a week. Do we act that way with each other? Boy, you just insulted me, but that was the first time. I'll take it this time. Or I just got to know you. But man, now I know you. Now I've been walking with you. Now I know how you do it. And I'm going to be ready for it more. You come at me with it. Make me feel insignificant. Say something about me. I'm ready to fight. I know your moves. We start off gracious. And then the grace goes away. So that's my daughter. <laughs> it comes down to if we are filled with Christ, then we can give of ourselves. If I'm filled with Christ, I can let this go. God can use me to love. If I'm filled with Christ, I can continue to do that and God will continue to empower me to love people. I continue to be filled with Him. I continue to look vertically and then I continue to, to love others around me. But this is what we do. We hold on to it. I'm filled with Christ, baby. I am filled with Christ. Look at me. I am transformed. I am different. But I'm not about to let it go. Not for any of you. And then I preach, and then you say, okay, 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 I'll let it go. And then this is what we do. Right? Sounds awful. It's a bunch of whining. I know we're going to do it, I'll do it. I'm That's what God wants. If we've been filled with Christ, then we'll freely let it go. Like, do we realize that's what we have in Christ? I didn't realize it this week. I was so overwhelmed. There's no way. And after I was overwhelmed for a little while, it's all about me. I didn't trust God. I didn't trust the gospel. I didn't think that like, wow, if I actually give of myself, then, then my needs are going to be met too, right? To put others' interests, others' needs before our own. What would that look like? if we met each other's needs, if we interacted in that way, if we had the same perspective, if we have the same perspective, then we're going to respond and interact and meet each other's needs and act in that way. And that's the design that God has created. That's the church. If you have a problem with it, then you have a problem with God. This is the church. This is what He's created. He says, this is what I want you to do. And Jesus was there with His disciples, and He's saying, God, make them one. As you and I are one, make them one. Paul is saying, if you just do this, just to complete my joy completely, like have the same perspective. One, be one.
And this is in the context of suffering. This is in the context of conflict. This is in the context of difficulties. But if we have that perspective, what does Jesus pray for? In the circumstances, in the difficulties, in the suffering, if we have this perspective and it results in this response, the world will know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The world will know that Jesus loves them as He's loved us. That's what Jesus prayed. Verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's basically what he's been saying. He summarizes it up. Have the same mind as Christ Jesus. Have his mind as we share that mindset with each other. His perspective. He gave His life action so that we can have life result. And with the force that He applied in our lives, we've received that, we've experienced that. If there's any encouragement, if there's any comfort, if there's any fellowship, then make my joy complete, completely. By having this perspective and responding this way. But when we release the bloom, we lose our lives. I was filled up. I looked good. I was filled up. I looked good. Over and over again, we give of ourselves. Over and over again, the gospel fills us. If we're not willing to give of ourselves, then we don't believe that the gospel fills us. That's the reality of what Paul is saying. We have to have that perspective. We have to believe that perspective. And believe that He has made us one with Him. And we can also be one together. Father God, thank you that you you rescued us. God, that you initiated that that you were the original the original force. Lord, we were enemies of you we were sinners Lord and you came and you walked amongst us and you went behind enemy lines and you rescued us and you put us on your shoulder and you carried us out Father it is all about you it was all done through you God thank you thank you Lord God give us that perspective Lord, help living stones, help us to stand firm in one spirit, Father. Stand firm in the truth. Lord, and help us to strive together, side by side, loving each other, loving this world as we proclaim the truth. Lord, for the faith of the gospel, for the faith of you, that you would be honored, that you would be lifted up, that you would be made known. God, help us to believe that, that this is important, that we would be together. God, through your Spirit, because it will not happen any other way, God, will you transform us and will you give us that shared perspective. God, give us your perspective, Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.